Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, I'm Nicholas Gordon, host of the Asian Review of Books podcast, done in collaboration with the New Books Network. In this podcast, we interview fiction and nonfiction authors working in, around, and about the Asia-Pacific region. It's a cliche to call North Korea the most isolated country in the world. Those who live outside the country often have very little idea of what life there is like, only seeing what its government would like us to see. Military parades, missile launches, and joyous crowds. Yet Lindsay Miller, author of North Korea Like Nowhere Else, Two Years of Living in the World's Most Secretive State, is a window into how ordinary North Koreans live their lives. They are more than the stereotypes portrayed by their government or by those looking in from outside the country, as revealed in the photos and stories that Lindsay tells in her book. Lindsay Miller is a musical director and award-winning composer. For the last 10 years, she has worked in theaters across the UK, Europe, North America, and Asia, and has most recently worked with the Royal Shakespeare Company. Between 2017 and 2019, Lindsay lived in Pyongyang, North Korea, while accompanying her husband on a diplomatic posting. Today, Lindsay and I will talk about what it was like to live in North Korea and some of the Koreans she met on her during her stay. We'll also talk about why some of the narratives about North Korea can be so hard to shift. So... Lindsay, thank you so much for joining me on the Asian Review Books podcast today. Um, I'd like to start, I think, with a very perhaps obvious question. What brought you to North Korea and how long were you there? So I was in North Korea from 2017 to 2019, and I was there as a diplomatic spouse. So I was accompanying my husband on a diplomatic posting, and we lived in Pyongyang for two years. Um. So what was life there like? Uh, what what was life like for foreigners living in North Korea? You get into this a little bit in your book, kind of some of the some of the strange circumstances and some of the strange feelings that foreigners would have. But I guess in short, what 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 was life like? So it's it's actually uh, it seems like such a simple question, but actually is quite complex. Um, and as with the title of the book being like nowhere else, that is the way I can best describe it. That life there for foreigners in my view, was incomparable to anywhere else in the world. Um, Living in North Korea comes with its own set of rules and restrictions to control foreigners who live there. And these apply to everyday life and things that we would just take for granted living in a more free society. Um, For us, we lived on the Munsudong compound, which is an area in Pyongyang where most of the foreign embassies and humanitarian organizations are based. And it's in one of the poorest areas of the city. And sort of like a large cul-de-sac where officials and all their families live and work. 
And the foreign community in Pyongyang is relatively small, so it wasn't unusual to see the same people every day, whether that was in an official capacity or while out and about in the city. And it's also where the international school was located for foreign residents' children, although that was usually attended only through absolute necessity because most parents schooled their children at home because the quality of education was so poor. Um, But within Pyongyang itself, and life for us in terms of everyday life, we were able to travel around freely. Uh, Many people drove cars as it was much more practical. And foreigners were generally, you know, we were discouraged and told we were not allowed to use buses or taxis or trams or any other public transport. But there were always stories of people who had used those ways of getting around the city. Um, but in my experience, it was very much not the, you were not allowed to take buses or any kind of public transport. So getting around for us was mainly walking and, and driving. And we could go to restaurants, bars, shops, ice rinks, um, temp and bowling alleys. But sometimes we would be turned away for an unknown reason. So um, it could have been a, res- a brand new restaurant that you've never been to before. It could have been somewhere you've gone frequently. Um, you could have rocked up and just because an official was there eating or the place had been told not to accept any foreigners that day or the North Koreans who were working there were uncomfortable with a foreigner being present present for any reason. It was it was always impossible to know, but you could have been turned away from, from all of these places, even though the day before it would have been fine. Um, but more generally speaking, outside of those kind of ins and outs of everyday life, it was pretty challenging. And the main reason for me, it was like nowhere else in the world, was that foreigners were very much made to feel watched. So while I can wander around the UK, you know, in anonymity, and go about my day and nobody pays attention. As a foreigner in North Korea, you're always going to draw attention Um, because we obviously look different, you're wearing different clothes, you represent the outside world. Um, And that would feed into behaviour from North Koreans around me and they would do things like film me or take photographs of me if I was in a shop or walking around. Um, In parks, for example, I was never on my own in that often felt strange and there always seemed to be someone there whether you know they were simply a gardener doing their job or there were people out enjoying their day and happened to move behind a tree you would never know but it made me question if my interpretation of those experiences was me buying into the North Korea mythology or if there was truth in it and lastly the the most difficult thing was developing relationships with local people as I think anybody is experienced when you travel to a new place, you want to meet people and experience the culture and really get out there and get a feel for the place. But in terms of making connections with people, there was never any clear line between authenticity and falseness in a social situation. So you never knew if the person you were speaking to was genuinely interested in speaking to you or if they had been tasked with some ulterior motive. And you question if you could trust that person. And that then meant that conversations themselves would be frustratingly limiting. And you'd find yourself avoiding certain topics of conversation because of the risk 
that would pose to the person you were speaking to and yourself. And so you'd find yourself trying to get to know somebody stuck in the middle of this controlled environment, trying to balance your curiosity with small talk and actually trying to get to know each other. And that's really what a big part of the book is and a big part of the reason why I decided to write about it and document those experiences was that I was living in this struggle between trying to understand myth, what was myth and what was reality. And that struggle never got any easier over the two years. Could you tell me a bit about some of the, about some of the Koreans you met during your stay? Um, What are some of the people that you describe in your book that really kind of stand out to you um, even now after you finished writing it? I think in my I, I mentioned this, you know, I've dedicated the book to Koreans that I, I know and to those I've never met um, because the biggest thing I've taken away from that experience is the people and they're always on my mind and I wonder what they're doing every minute of the day. Um, in Those people that I was able to meet and develop relationships with um, were sometimes born from spontaneous interactions um, but most of the time they were usually people who had experience of living abroad or maybe spoke foreign language or um, had exposure to a lot of foreigners and those people really stood out from North Koreans who perhaps didn't have those experiences. There was an openness and a confidence about them that made interacting with them a completely different experience and and those were mostly North Koreans living and working in Pyongyang and likely part of the elite and in the book I talk about a few of the North Koreans I knew and their working lives and one of them in particular friends of mine a young woman called Min Jong um, she worked six days a week and she had Sunday off and she lived at her workplace and a lot of the time we would talk about her love life and how she was really struggling to find a boyfriend. She was under a lot of pressure from her parents to get married. And she told me that she didn't have much time for a relationship because she spent so much time at work. And other North Koreans I'd met as well, one a very close friend was much more near retirement age. And we had a lot of lovely conversations about the future for them and and what retirement might look like for them and their worries about stopping their working life, which I think a lot of people can identify with all over the world, um, of coming to the end of your working life and who who are you when you don't have your job to, to maybe define a large part of who you are. So overall, for me, I generally found North Korean people to be very warm, very generous, very friendly creative um, people with a really wonderful sense of humour. And that's something I really hope that readers can connect with in this book than the more sort of cliche stock image that we're presented with um, these days. And and I'd like to actually get into that a bit more. You know, the observation that you made in the book that in some ways struck me the most was your comment that Korean parents often complained about their children playing far too many video games, um, which I'm sure is a, a common feeling amongst parents everywhere. Um, but it definitely cuts against the stereotype of North Koreans as kind of, you know, destitute, downtrodden, backward. Um, 
And I mean, obviously, it's a very isolated country. They don't have access to um, a lot of the information and the and the systems and let, let's say the cutting edge that people outside North Korea have. But I guess kind of were there other situations that kind of challenged, I guess, th- this very simplistic view of what North Koreans are like? Oh, definitely, and I I think every every single day there was there was at least one thing that I, that made me realize how ignorant I was in th- in thinking that I possibly knew anything about the place, and I think that's quite a common thing among people who have lived there and have experienced it and spent a lot of time there. That I think the longer you're there the less you feel you know about the place. And certainly for me, I left feeling like I knew much less than when I arrived. And it it was from those situations of going, yeah, you know, parents are complaining about their children not doing their homework, about sitting on the computer. Um, I've met North Koreans who were complaining about their siblings who spent lots of time on their phones, messaging their friends and playing games on their phones. And parents would tell me about how their childhood they would be playing outdoors and playing games with other kids not sitting on a screen um but I think more than anything for me it was I I remember having a conversation with a young woman in in Pyongyang and she was telling me about the way she felt about her role as a woman as a young woman within the family unit and she said that she wasn't interested in having children. And the topic of children was a really interesting one because I'm a woman, young woman who has a career and doesn't have children. And that was really interesting to young North Korean women who were not married and didn't have children or who were married and didn't want children themselves. And we had these really interesting conversations about that traditional gender role. And to me, I I had always thought that, you know, especially young North Korean, Korean women's role would have been very strongly, they would have been encouraged to get married and to have children. But there were, you know, there was more than one North Korean woman I met who said that she didn't want that for herself. Um, some didn't even want a relationship or have time for one because they worked too much. And we had lots of conversations about that and what my life was like not having children. And as I say, I think that was really interesting for them. I mean, obviously, that's not going to be the case for every North Korean woman. um, And the vast majority have absolutely no choice about those things. But it was really interesting coming across young women who had thought about that and who were very strong in their view. And that went completely against everything I thought um, and had generalised North Korean women to be. Did you get a sense of how North Koreans thought about the rest of the world? I mean, the Koreans you met, they're not complete hermits. Um, they know, they, they seem to know what's happening in South Korea, in China, elsewhere in the world. Um, and if I can, I mean, to kind of maybe phrase it more bluntly, like they're not, they're not stupid. Like they can see, they, they get enough information and enough comparisons about what the rest of the world is like. Um, I guess kind of, and they know quite a bit about other countries and other societies. Um, but I guess kind of, I guess kind of more broadly speaking, you get a sense of how Koreans thought about what the rest of the world was like. Yeah, definitely. And as you've mentioned, I think the, the sort of cliche stereotype 
is that North Korean people are, are like hermits with no knowledge of the outside world. And I think that's a really overly simplistic view. And obviously not all North Koreans are going to know about the outside world. It's going to vary depending on that individual and the exposure they have and in what way. Um, you know, outside information is one of the key threats to the regime. So it is controlled. But um, we know that outside information does get into the country. And as I mentioned earlier, you know, even just me existing there, I felt the responsibility of that, that I represented that outside world. And so seeing the effects of knowledge of the outside world on someone was really interesting. And, I, you know, I had many conversations with North Korean friends about Brexit. They asked me about Scottish independence. They asked me who my favourite wife of Henry VIII was. Um, they asked me what it was like in Thailand to walk on a beach or how I found a recent trip to South Korea. Um, one North Korean friend that I mentioned in the book was absolutely fascinated by photographs that I had of Hong Kong. And I showed them pictures on my phone and they would just pour over the details, you know, zooming in and all the pictures to get all, all the details of the photograph. Um, and of course, they, they had opinions and questions and it was really enjoyable talking to them and get to know them. Um, so there is an awareness of the outside world. And as I, as I said before, I think it's very overly simplistic to, to think that North Koreans wouldn't have um, that knowledge. Um, as I say, where it comes from um, is, is unknown because that's going to be different for every person. Um, I think something that, that was interesting in getting to know North Koreans was you know, they would ask me about my opinions, like Scottish independence, for example, and I would give my opinion, very strong political opinion on something. But to ask them an opinion about their own leader, for example, it wouldn't have been right to assume that I would get an honest answer in the same way um, because the environment's obviously different for them to express their own opinions. Um, but for the most part, the North Koreans I met were really curious and really interested to know more. And and particularly those who had experience around foreigners before had a confidence to ask those questions. So I'd like to, we talked a lot, lot about the people, but I like to talk mm-hmm. about maybe the, the location, kind of what it was, what the physical location was like. Um, so I guess in short, what's the city of Pyongyang like? Um, you, you mentioned kind of one parallel in your book where you had the was it the 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 square where the military parade is being held mm-hmm. and then right next to it is some was it an, an underground an underground market um mm-hmm. which is which is a very interesting and very kind of um a very interesting parallel but i guess could you just, just talk about the the location of pyongyang and what that place is like sure i think I think what was really interesting, and particularly at that time, you know, in tw- 2017 and 2018 were really big moments uh, uh, for for North Korea in terms of its role within um, international relations, its relations with the US um, during the missile tests and, and during its relationship with South Korea after the Pyeongchang Olympics. So feeling what it was like to be in Pyongyang was fascinating and that's something I've really tried to capture within the book, a feeling on what it was like on the ground. And 
at that time, you know, I think if you if you choose to examine just just as you say with the you know the military parades can be going over the square and yet underneath there's an underground mall and people are doing their shopping. I think that those parallels exist every single day there. Um, but it's how, as outsiders, we choose to view it and what we choose to focus on. You know, I think if we look at North Korea and choose to examine it, uh, that society, from the perspective of the mass games or the military parades or the self-criticism system, for example, you assume that every that all of it is a super regimented society, but actually outside of those times, people are not so different from people in other countries. You know, people enjoy drinking beer. People enjoy hiking, spending time with friends and family. Um, and I think that contrast became most clear during the nuclear crisis in 2017. And at that time, I'm watching international news in my apartment in Pyongyang that's showing pictures of missile launches um, or the nuclear test. Uh, but at that same moment, people in Pyongyang, it didn't feel any different. People still went to work. Children went to school. Students were going to university. Mothers were still hanging out their washing on the wash line. Businessmen were still running to catch the bus. It was like being in the eye of the storm. And so while the headlines were showing dancing masses of people and loud announcements, people there were getting on with their lives. So it felt very, very different from what was being portrayed. And that's not to say that people didn't feel worried or scared. And I talk about about that in the book and the conversations I had with people about that. But it felt very normal. Um, And it felt very far away, even though we were in the country where those things were happening. You kind of share in the introduction to to your book that living in North Korea did have an effect on the foreigners that lived there. Um, I guess I might ask you to explain kind of in what way were foreigners affected and I guess were you affected by by living in that kind of environment? Mm, I think I think it's a it's an extremely exhausting environment to live in and as I mentioned earlier there's so many rules and restrictions but also amazing opportunities and and simple things become the most wonderful amazing enriching experiences that it kind of turns your your world inside out and you start to think differently and i think living there i've i've called the effect on people and and their behavior mining and mine included the pyongyang effect and It's really because I think in an information black hole, such as North Korea, the price of information between foreigners there, as I talk about in the book, became so high and almost weaponized and and it was traded between people. So a lot of foreigners, and it was hard not to get caught up in it, and I found myself doing this sometimes as well, became really possessive over any new information regarding simple things. So it could have been a new bar that had opened or a never before seen item in a shop that was all of a sudden being sold. And if someone had discovered that place, that bar, for example, 
they would hold that information really tight and maybe only tell a couple of trusted others so that no one else in the community would know um, to stop everyone else from discovering it. Because if anyone else knew, it wouldn't be prized information anymore. And it's it's ridiculous because you wouldn't you wouldn't behave like that, <laughs> you know, normally. Um, if you find somewhere, you'd probably want to tell other people and, and share it with them. But there was this this almost defensive, like possessiveness over over information there. Um, any information that was available was really held on to closely. And in other ways as well, it, it effect, for me, it affected, living there really affected the way I thought about things and my perception of what I was what I was experiencing. So I mentioned uh, very briefly earlier about the mythology of North Korea. And um, I think as outsiders, we have a very set idea perhaps of what we expect it to be and what how we expect the people to be. Um, and I had that challenge quite a few times where um, I was at, I would talk about in the book, I was at a water park and I was saying hello to a grandfather and some, some of his grandchildren. And we had a really lovely moment and very swiftly, a man in a car pulled up in a suit and walked out into the sort of seating area of this water park and sat down. And as soon as that happened, the interaction I was having with this North Korean man and his family was completely over. And it's an interesting situation because I think it can you can interpret it as, well, that man could have been anyone or he could have been someone. But that's kind of beside the point. The point was that psychologically for me I was questioning that situation in a way I wouldn't have anywhere else in the world because I was buying into the mythology of the country or maybe I wasn't maybe what I interpreted him his role there to be was true but I I never knew that um you also start to find yourself coming round to almost empathizing as well with with the North Korean regime's stance on things like the nuclear program. That was another thing like that, that empathizing. I mean, I certainly don't feel that way, but living in that environment where I was absorbing all this information all the time and just thinking about this place and its people all the time, I started to change the way I was thinking. And it was, it was always at those moments that I thought I need a break. I need to, you know, have a break away from here. It was never lost on me that North Koreans don't, have that luxury of being able to leave so there were lots of lots of different ways which they play, the place really affected you and um it was really really complicated and it's and it's definitely left its mark and i definitely felt like i left knowing much less about the place than when i arrived So then what, I guess, what encouraged you to kind of put together your thoughts and your photos into a book? I think, you know, the most common question I'm asked is, what was it, what was it like living in North Korea? And it's such a, it seems like such a simple question, but it's such a complicated answer. And it's because, as I, you know, as I said, I've, I've tried to capture in this book the way the place feels, like the way it felt for me anyway, from, in my experience, the way relationships with people felt, the way individual moments felt, and the way the overall two years felt as, as political shifts happened and 
as my perspective changed. Um, but you can't put your finger on a feeling. It's it because it, it's impossible to cap to completely capture it and all the complexities that come with it. And for me, putting this piece together was about getting 200 pages closer to being able to answer that question of what is it like? And I don't think it's ever going to be possible to completely encapsulate it totally, you know, 100% perfectly. But this is the best, it's the closest I've gotten. And the other reason was that my focus was always, you know, when you when I got past the propaganda and the, the murals, when those sunk into the background, for me, it was about the people and about relationships. And that is what makes the heart of a place a place and an experience so valuable and enriching. And that's what I've taken away with me. And I think it's really important. You know, there's a, the regime is there to stop us all from connecting with the 25 million people who live in North Korea and to prevent them from connecting with us. And I hope in some very small way that this book can open a very small window and connect us as human beings. So I think that's a great place to end our interview with Lindsay Miller, author of North Korea, Like Nowhere Else, Two Years of Living in the World's Most Secretive State. Lindsay, I actually have one more question for you. Um, Where can people find your work and what's next for you? So in terms of the book itself, it's available at all good bookstores. You can buy it online um, at shops such as Amazon and others. And um, it's also available at Barnes & Noble, Waterstones and Book Depository and other stores online. And um, in terms of the future, I'm planning on putting together some more material um, on my travels. And we'll just have to wait and see what comes from that. Um, I'm also on Twitter as well, where I share extra photographs and extra material as well that hasn't gone into the book, some short stories and anecdotes. So any listeners are also welcome to follow me on there and um, see bonus material. So you can follow me, Nicholas Gordon, on Twitter at NickRIGordon. That's N-I-C-K-R-I-G-O-R-D-O-N. You can go to AsianReviewBooks.com to find other reviews, essays, interviews, and excerpts. Follow on Facebook or on Twitter at Book Reviews Asia. That's reviews plural. And you can find countless other author interviews at the New Books Network at newbooksnetwork.com. We can be found on all your favorite podcast apps, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Rate us, recommend us, share us with your friends if you want to continue to support us interviewing those writing in, around, and about Asia. Stay tuned for more info who's coming up on the show. But before then... Thank you so much, Lindsay, for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks for having me.